y'all for uh, second service. want to welcome everybody watching us by live stream. want to encourage you to share the stream, do some evangelism, reach out to some people who need some hope. People need hope, right? You can do more evangelism with your finger than most, pe- most Christians can do all year. All you got to do is go share the stream, right? That's all you got to do. I've had people go, well, I don't want to know everybody on my Facebook page. They don't know I'm a Christian. I'm like, well, solve that problem first. And then start sharing the stream. (laughs) Christians don't wear camouflage. We wear armor, Christian. All right, 2022. We believe God. It's a year of transition into destiny. Anybody want to transition into destiny? You want it to be different. You don't want it to be the same. You're tired of waiting, right? You want to cross that river, Telly, right? You want to move into that place. Say it. God uses people, places, and things. I'm going to be one of those people. I'm going to be in those places. And I'm going to inherit those things that Jesus has for me. You have to have intentional faith. We believe God here for miracles, signs, and wonders that testify of the greatness of our God and reveal the true nature of our identity and purpose in the earth. That's what we believe God for. And I believe this year is going to be a year of miracles, signs, and wonders that testify of the glory and the greatness of God. Things are going to be changing in your life. I truly believe that. And as I was praying, I was asking the Lord, trying to meditate and um, what he wants to say. And I, I was telling Jerry, I was like, I was asking him, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because, I, I, you know, I, I, I normally this time of year I'll do vision, right? So it's like, like open up with vision and try to give you a direction and vision. And, um, but, you know, I, I presume and assume nothing. And so I asked him and I felt like he like mapped out all the stuff he wanted to say. I was like, wow, what's going on? He's like, this is what I want to say over the year. And I felt like he was telling me like, you know, you ask God for this and he gives you this. So, um, and then I was asking him kind of where he wanted to begin. And I felt like he wants to begin with the restoration of hope. And so that was what I really felt like he was impressing on me was begin the year with hope, not with vision, because 2020 has caused a lot of people to lose hope, has it not? Right? It's one of the things we've been inundated, saturated, overwhelmed with a culture of fear. Can I get a witness? No? Y'all, been, y'all were y'all taking a nap in 2021? I mean, it was like an inundation of fear. And one of the things fear does is fear causes us to lose perspective. And what happens when you lose perspective, you, you, you get paralyzed. This is the second association with fear. So fear produces nothing good. You get lost and you're paralyzed. You don't know where you are and you can't move. Not a good place to be. This is what fear produces. And we've been in an atmosphere and a culture of fear and a saturation of fear for the last probably 18 months. And I feel like what God wants to do is not only the restoration of hope, but hope is, faith is impossible without hope. Hope is the foundation of faith. Uh, Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? So faith comes from the substance of hope. And so hope has to be there. And fear has caused us a lot to lose hope. A lot of things have changed and a lot of things have shifted in people's lives. And I believe that God is going to use the momentum of this negativity and he's going to turn it around for good. I truly believe that. I truly believe that the Christian will prosper in the midst of despair. That the Christian will overcome when everybody is being overcome. I truly believe that. I truly believe that we will be victors in the midst of victimization. Everybody can be victimized and we will be victorious. This is a truth. This is a promise upon God's people. Fear has no place in our lives unless we allow it. Never. The voice of fear, the Holy Spirit does not speak fear. It's it's a language he never speaks. He never speaks fear. The voice of fear is never the Lord. Any decision made in fear is always the wrong decision. Let's just say that. I know it's hard because we make decisions in fear all the time, right? (laughs) Say it with me. Any decision made in fear is always the wrong decision, right? Fear is because of an overwhelming force. Fear is because of a loss of, 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 of direction, right? We don't follow the herd. We follow Jesus. We don't follow the culture. We follow Jesus. We don't follow the church. We follow Jesus. We're not church culture. We're kingdom culture. It's what we are, right? So Zechariah 9, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. 
Right? So this is a verse I want to share with you a little bit about hope, and I want to kind of break it down for you. And there's a lot of promises in here. There's also instructions in this verse. A couple of people I felt like shared with me verses that they felt like for 2022. And so I've been trying to, I've been praying about it. I felt like Zechariah, this Zechariah 9 was one of them. It's a prophetic chapter speaking about the coming of his, um, Jesus, lowly and riding on a colt, and is talking about all this stuff. And God is speaking a word into a hopeless generation. God is speaking a word into a generation that's just been overcome. And I believe that this, this word is relevant uh, for today and relevant for us as always. God's word is alive. Are we with, are you with me? Right? His word lives. His word goes on and on. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God is living, will never fail. And that word, as much as it was alive in that generation, that word is just as alive, if not more, because Jesus lives in this generation. Because of the blood of my covenant, I'm going to free your prisoners. This first one, we'll come back to that. This is where I want to start. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. And even now I will renounce to you the restoration, double for what you have lost. Right? Double for what I've lost? I will bend Judah as my bow, and I will fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse the sons of Zion and Edwin daughters, and I will make them as a sword. What does that mean, right? Come on, that's a good verse. People have lost hope. We get hopeless. And so Jesus is hopeful. And he says, return to the fortress, you prisoners of hope. Bond people of hope. We are not to be bound by fear. Fear is not the inheritance of the believer. We are bound by hope. And the Lord goes, go back to the place of strength, you who are bound by hope. Hope is your inheritance. From hope, all things come. From hope, faith comes. From faith, all things become possible. And God is saying, go back to these strong places, the, you prisoners or you who are bound by hope. So what are the, what are the strong places? One of the strong places is the assembly of God's people, right? The Bible tells us that we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house, a fortification. What happens, Romans 1.11 says, I long to be with you, Paul says, in order that I might impart to you something spiritual and that I might draw from you mutual encouragement and that you might draw encouragement from me. We need the connection with like-minded fellowship and belief with other believers. We need it. It's not an option, right? It's not church at home on your couch with your socks up in the air. I mean, that's cool for a couple of weeks, but that isn't taking you across the finish line. It'll do it for a while. It's a good substitute, but it is not the sum total of what God has designed. He's designed us to be together, and the enemy knows that. The culture of hope exists within the church when Christians are in common unity with one another, when love, is, when love is generated, when power is generated, when truth is there. There's common union among us, and when there's common union among us, there is hope. Anybody get hopeful when you come to church? Anybody at all? Right? If you're not hopeful, I guarantee you I'm going to do my best to make you hopeful before you leave today. Right? We're going to impart hope to you in the name of Jesus. Right? Hope brings life. And so what happens is, is this is a strategic plan of the enemy. Silence the church and break the assembly. If you don't think the church, this, this demonic, you know, COVID, COVID's real, whatever, all that other stuff, I don't care about that. The, the, the processes that have gone into this thing to, to diminish and divide and destroy the church has been without reason, right? You can go to the strip club, but you couldn't go to church. I mean, seriously, right? I could go to Costco. Stop by Big Daddy's, grab a fifth of liquor, have a few shots on the way to the strip club, and then go to the strip bar. But by God, I couldn't go to church. Oh, no, no, no. And if you go to church, don't sing. No, 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 no. That can't happen. You know? It's just, it's just unbelievable because it's a, pl it's a plant underneath it all, right? All the cultural things. But underneath it all, it's a ploy against the church to silence the voice of the church, to break the unity of the church because the hope comes from the church. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is hopeful. Hope comes from him. He is hope. There is no hope without Jesus. We are hopeless and helpless without Jesus. We have to have Jesus. And if he can break the unity of the church, divide the church, make all of these things and isolate the church, he can reduce hope and he can instill fear. The only counterman to fear is faith. Faith. And faith comes from hope. Hope is evidenced by what is not seen, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is where it comes from. 
God is saying, return to the places of strength. Realize that you need each other. One of those places of strength is the assembly. It's 1 Peter. We're living stones, holy and spiritual, to offer up sacrifices unto God together. We're created to be together. This is why it doesn't make sense to us, right? It doesn't make sense to us. We're commanded to assemble. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as a manner of some, but even so is the day if you see the day of approaching. There was no exceptions placed upon that. We are commanded to assemble. Our nature is to isolate, but God doesn't want us to isolate. Human nature is to isolate, right? You all know what I'm talking about. Anybody here like to isolate? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Lock the door, tub of ice cream, Netflix. God commends us into the assembly of the people. The church is to be a wellspring of hope. Is a life-giving entity. Even if I lay an egg, there should be enough people in this room to bring hope into your life. Right? There should be mutual encouragement one to the other. There should be an exchange of life and prayer and and encouragement one to the other and power. You should never leave this place hopeless. If you're hopeless, that's on you. Grab somebody. Right? Grab somebody. They'll pray for you. Is that right, Elevate? Huh? That's right. You don't need me. We got, a, we got an assembly of saints here to lay hands on you. I'll pray for you if I can get to you. But, man, we got an assembly. We got them going. They're going to give it to you. Go for it. The assembly is necessary. The second thing, the second stronghold of hope, we have to return to the stronghold, you who are bound by hope. From the stronghold and you who are bound by hope, the stronghold of hope, from there I'm going to bring you breakthrough. From there I will declare double for your trouble. But I have to have you in a place of hope. Because hope brings faith, and faith manifests the kingdom. Say it with me. Human need is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. It's not about human need. Anything God does in your life, it's through faith. Oh, faith is, the, faith is obedience, and into the, or faith is trusting in the promises to the point of action. Believing what God says to the point where you are actually do it. Don't talk about faith. Paul, uh, James says, you say you have faith, good for you, right? You say, you, well, I have faith. Jesus, Paul, uh, James is like, really? Then show me with deeds. Then show me with action, right? It's not about a profession of faith. It's in discipleship, it's about the demonstration of faith. While works don't save us, works manifest the kingdom because they create partnership and agreement with what God says, your hearts are, your, 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 your mouths, you people honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We have to come back to the experiences of victory. That's the next stronghold. Has God done anything in your life? Right? If you think it's hopeless, go back to that place of victory where he's brought you from. If you need a financial breakthrough, remember when he brought you through it. Anybody? Has God delivered you financially? Has God restored you? Has God done, and, and even if he hasn't done it for you, you can look around and find somebody who he's done it for. Because the Bible says he's no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for another. All right? Say it with me. Jesus doesn't have favorites. He has intimates. All right? It's not about favoritism. It's about intimacy. All right? Into me you see. So we have to go back to these places of experience and these places of victory. This is a stronghold. When you go back to that and you say, hey, wait a second. This isn't that bad. I got delivered from something way worse than this. All of a sudden, you know what happens? Hope. Then you're like, I'm hopeful. All of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I'm going to believe God to do it again. Now we have faith. And now we've just enacted the currency of heaven. Human need does not move heaven. It does not. Human need moves people. Because it's human empathy. But what moves heaven is faith. Jesus walked by myriad after myriad after myriad of need and human uh, pain. And he didn't do anything about it. But when he did, it was faith. Every time you see Jesus in an action of a miracle, it's through faith. He's always looking for faith. Right? He'll offend you to see if you have faith. My favorite stories in the Bible, I share it all the time. The Syrophoenician woman, the Syrian Phoenician woman. You want to talk about rejects? You can't get more of a reject than a Syrian Phoenician woman in that culture. And the Bible emphasizes who she is. Two of the most despised people to a Jew. She was Syrian and she was Phoenician. Not because of her ethnic background, but because of their religious background. They were pagans. Pagans. The Phoenicians were the masters of child sacrifice. 
They had indoctrinated, a lot of the Jewish culture had adopted the ways of the Phoenicians. They murdered babies, the Phoenicians did. And when they were doing excavations in Israel, they found jars of children's bones set into the cornerstones of the houses. They believed if they sacrificed their children, God would bring blessing upon their household. The Phoenician king of Tyre, when Alexander was about to conquer the city, took his own son up to the top and slit his throat in an offering to his God. Oh, these are just nice people, right? Their whole culture was infected. You know, the whole culture was infected. People have these judgments about the Old Testament. And they say, oh, it's cultural genocide. You don't know a world where the devil hasn't been broken. You and I live in a world where the devil's head has been crossed for 2,000 years, and we are the recipients of the inbreaking power of the kingdom as it's woven its way through history. They knew no such thing. The devil was in authority. Cultures were completely dominated by, dark, by darkness. Completely. Right? When God said to destroy the Amalekites, he said, even their children. When God spared Nineveh, he said, their children have not. So there's hope. When God spared Nineveh, he said, the children have not bowed to this. When God said, destroy the Amalekites, he says, they have their children doing this. There is no hope. They are infected to the core. Right? You get it? There was no bow. There was no ability to break the devil's power until Jesus came. If you read the New Testament, you swing a cat and you're going to hit a demon. They're everywhere. It's true. Everywhere Jesus went, boom, boom, there they are. There they are. They visited, the devil visited him in the wilderness. He said, these kingdoms are mine. There was no debate because they were. The nations belonged to the devil. He said, I have authority over it all. He said, I know you came for that. I'll give it to you the easy way. Bow down to me and I'll give it to you. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. <laughs> I'm going to tie my hands behind my back. This is what Jesus said. I'm going to get down on my knees. They're going to put a blindfold on me, and I'm still going to kick your butt. And that's what happened. It wasn't even a fight. It wasn't even a fight. He saves us to the uttermost. There's no one like him. He's a God of victory. The only one who tolerates defeat is you and the devil. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you'll change, right? These moments where you cannot move forward are not moments to create despair. They're moments for you to create creativity and for you to invoke an understanding and a revelation into a, de a deeper knowledge that you would not have access to any other way. Some of my greatest scrapers have come when I can't move forward, right? And the answers didn't lie with others. The answers didn't even lie within the word. I couldn't even find the verses because my context of the verses was too narrow. This is most Christians' problems. Our context of the word is too narrow. I love saying this, so I'll say it today. Jesus, come on, don't be afraid. Come on, we're talking about hope, right? Jesus will never violate his word, but he will violate my understanding. That's right, he will blow your mind, but it will be right in the context of the scripture, but you will come to understand. You see, we, think, we worship what we think, you know? especially well-versed Christians worship what they think. It's called intellectual idolatry, right? We, we believe it. And if it doesn't fit into the context of our narrowness of belief, then we have a very difficult time receiving it. All the time, we just get locked up in this. Locked up in this. I asked God for kingdom power. I said, you want kingdom power, Kevin? Rule one, you know nothing. Yeah, I'll tell you that story another time. <laughs> I've said it before, but I'll share it again. You'll hear it a lot. Why? Because it's relevant. It's not just relevant to me, it's relevant to you. And until you come to the place of that, until you come to the understanding of that, nothing's going to change, right? Experiences of victory. God, you have to go back to when God has brought victory. Has he done it for anybody else? He'll do it for you, right? Where has he brought it? Say this with me. Jesus doesn't bring me in as a visitor. He brings me in as an occupant. When you have breakthrough and you have victory, you are not a visitor, doesn't mean, okay, you got your victory. Thanks for coming. See you later. No, you have a key to that room now. You are now an occupant. How do you know this? Through willful discovery of the Spirit. I'd be like, oh, God. Just a few years ago, about four or five years ago, I'd be like, oh, God. I was going through some stuff financially. I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And I know you none of y'all are like that at all. 
Nobody, yeah. So anyway, I was going through it. I was praying to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I need this, I need this breakthrough. I need, I, I, you know, this is what I need. I was feeling sorry for myself, but I know enough to not feel sorry for myself. So I'm slapping myself around. Get up. Take your rightful place. You're a son. Get up. And so I'd take my rightful place and I'd go before my father and I started to talk to him. Say, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what, you know, and, he, and he would tell me, have I done it before? And I'd say, yeah. And he goes, go back to that place, Kevin, and pray to me from there. And so in the spirit, what I would do is I would remember the times when God brought me through the impossible. And I would let the spirit of God illuminate to me the, one of those moments. And I would stand and I would go back to that moment and I would stand in that moment. And I would feel the victory of that moment and I would begin to pray from that. Because I'm not a, I'm not a visitor and I'm an occupant. Right? You pray from the places of it. This is spiritual stuff, guys. This, is, this isn't, you know, you know, polly-wally doodle all the day. This is, this, is, this is kingdom stuff I'm sharing with you. This is real activation of a real kingdom. And it works like this. This is how it works. Go back to the place of victory. Return to, your, return to the fortress of hope. Right? Go back to that place and pray to me with the faith of what I did before. You go back and you remember what I did for you. You stand in that place and with that, authority, with that authority of faith, you pray to me. Because it's the currency of heaven. That currency of heaven. It's not that God needs it. It's that that creates that bridge for him to do something. It's true. Most of you, you give up. Go back to that place of hope. And if you've got somebody in your life, right, maybe it's never happened for you. Maybe other people have had, maybe you've had a lot of breakdowns, but you see other people who've been through the sim similar situations and they've had victory. Just say, hey, lay, on, lay hands on me. It's real simple. This is simple. You don't even have to be eloquent because what you've been through is what you carry, right? You carry that victory. You carry it. The devil's doing everything in his power to try to diminish you and try to show you that you don't carry the victory, right? But you carry the victory. You carry the anointing. And what will happen once you go back to that place and you stand from that place, that victory, that breakthrough is going to come way easier than it did the first time. And once you got about four or five victories, it's not, it's not even a debate. There's not even a debate. Once you've broken through in an area four, five, six, eight times, it's not even a debate. It's an inevitability that it's going to happen. See it all the time. It's kingdom principle. We don't understand it. We think we're visitors when we're occupants. We think we're outsiders when we're insiders, right? We don't understand how this transaction works. We don't understand that what God is doing to us is not, he's imparting his nature through that victory. He's imparting a greater, a greater weight of who we are through that victory. We become mightier and mightier and mightier and mightier. You'll see it. You see, you can activate it in any way. We're just talking about breakthrough here. Works the same thing with kingdom power. Start praying for people right? Manifesting healing anointing. We see certain things that go just like that. Just like that. It's not even an option. I'm like looking at people, oh, you don't understand. I'm like, no problem. Boom, let's go. Why? Because we've broken through so many times in that arena, right? I see it with inner healing. I see it with deliverance. I can look at somebody and go 100%. 100%. You'll go free. 100%. Not 50, not 20, not 30, not 10, not maybe. 100%. And you know what happens? 100%. So it's what we are, right? Our problem is, is our thinking is a little skewed up, screwed up. Our thinking is incongruent with who we are. Our thinking is incongruent with his kingdom. Our thinking is incongruent, right? We, we're, we're, we're over here. He's over here, right? Our thinking has to be changed on earth as it is, right? Who am I in heaven? I'm a son of the highest. Therefore, I am on the earth. <laughs> who am I in heaven? I carry an unlimited power seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus far above every principality, power, might, and dominion in every name that is named. I'm seated with that one in equal authority. That's what it means. You're not seated beneath him. You're seated with him. What? Right? None of us would, none of us would share our power. Right? People don't want to share their power. Jesus shares it all. He said, I did it for you. Here, have my power. Right? You don't have any power? No problem. I got it in spades. Have mine. He gives it to you. You're seated in heavenly places. No devil's, no devil's going to dominate me. No devil's going to control me. No devil's going to rule me. And if he is, he's going to be gone in a very short amount of time. Where's your faith? Nah, where's your faith? It's true. 
We have to go back to these experiences of victory. We have to activate the promises. This is the third stronghold. So the first stronghold is the assembly, the mutual agreement of other, other people. We need each other to tell you it's not over, right? We need, this, is what, this is one of the things a house should be. It should be a house of encouragement, right? I mean, if anything, we should be like, okay, not one more word of encouragement today, please, <laughs> right? How many of them are you? You know, how many of you people are you? You know, there should be, be a house of encouragement. We need to go back to the places of victory and the promises. God has a promise for every single situation. That's a stronghold. Those promises are designed to give you hope. Designed to give you hope. Promises come with conditions. There are conditions to the promises. If you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. Call upon me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not of. What's the promise? He's going to show you great and mighty things, right? What's the condition? You got to call upon him. If you don't call upon him, he's not showing you great and mighty things that you know not of, right? All, in, all the way through. So the promises, so here's 1 Peter. His divine power is given to us everything for life and godliness. Everything that you need is already provided for. It's, it's already there. Well, then where is it? It's in the spirit, in the heavenly places. You have to learn to create spiritual transactions. You have to learn that your power is not in the earth. Your power is in the spirit. And until you do, every single thing that God has provided for you will remain inactive. Inactive. It's there, but you can't access it through natural means. You can't access it through, through earthly ways. Everything that is necessary for life and living the godly life is given to us through the knowledge of him and, uh, and through his glory and his goodness. So it, we have to know him, and it's talking about his glory and his goodness, that he's, he's, his glory is the weight of who he is. Right? When you know who he is, and you know he is good, and you know who you are in him, you have access. And when you continue into that access based upon that relationship, that relationship that says, I know who my father is, I know he is good, and I know who I am to him. Upon that relationship and that understanding, we activate what is ours in the spirit by life that pertains to life and godliness. Jesus looked at the woman at the well and he said, if you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. That's the sum total of that story to me. Lots of other things going on, but the number one thing that's happening is this woman will not ask because she does not understand who's in front of her. Who was she? See, she's qualifying herself based upon herself. He didn't qualify her based upon her. He qualified based upon him, right? She had five husbands and was living in a trailer with a guy down by the river that wasn't her husband. This woman already been married five times, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places. She can't make it work. And now she has no hope. She's not even worried about getting married. She's just going to shack up with some dude down by the river. She came to get water in the middle of the day. Women didn't get water at the middle of the day. She got water, women got the water in the evening. She went in the middle of the day because she didn't want other women to see her. She had a sordid, a torrid reputation. She probably got tired of going to get the well and like, oh, there she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Betty, what, what husband you on now? Oh, that's right, that's right. You know. And Jesus said to her, "If you knew who I am, you'd ask me." You're not qualified on who you are in you. You're qualified on who He is and who you are in Him. That's that's just the way it is. And we have the promises. What do you want? What do you seek? What is a promise for your life? So that's the stronghold. Go back to the promises. God has no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he'll do for another. You need money? Who doesn't, right? <laughs> it's just unfortunate, but we do. Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord your God has given you the power to obtain wealth, to establish his covenant in the land. That is a promise based upon the condition. That promise will increase based upon several things, your understanding what it is and your willingness to partner with that promise. Money isn't for you. Money is to establish his covenant, right? But you give God what he's asking him for and he pays for it and gives you a tip. God has given you an ability to generate wealth. Every single person in this room, you have an ability to generate wealth. You have it. How do I know? Because the Bible says so. Well, what is it? I don't know. What is it? You have an ability to generate wealth. Well, what's wealth? I don't know. What, what, what are you looking for? It's a relative conversation. The first conversation is, Lord, what is my ability to generate wealth? That's the first conversation. What is it, right? And then faithfulness is attached to that. And that's another story for another day. 
But every single thing God's got a promise for. He's got a plan for you. He's got a redemptive and restorative plan, and it's not on your terms, okay? You can be born again and saved, right? You're born again and saved, but that doesn't mean you're activating promises. You're born again and saved, and you can live like a victim until Jesus comes or until you go to see him because you refuse to activate promises because you want everything on your terms. It's not on your terms. He's not negotiating terms with you. He's telling you the terms. <gasps> That's not loving. He's a king, ladies and gentlemen. He's a king. He's your father, but he's also a king. And he's a lord, and he's a master. And he's not always speaking to you in fatherly terms. Sometimes he's speaking directly at you. And he's speaking in terms of, of, of direction and correction and motivation from, a, from his lordship and from his kingship because he has every right to do so, right? He loves you, right? He loves you. The Bible says if he didn't correct you, you wouldn't be loved. He corrects you because you're loved or he instructs you because you're loved, right? It's another story. I have so many things I want to say on that, but I can't. His promises are where, are, are where, are, are where life is. God's desire for you is to activate the promises. You can be born again and saved and not activating the promises. You can be born again and saved and having some promises active in your life, but you can be inert to destiny. Destiny cannot be inert. It cannot be operating in your life. What we do is we settle for this baseline relationship where we're just merely born again and we're all hunkering down until Jesus comes. That is not the faith of the Bible. That's the faith of the church. That's the culture of the church, but that is not the faith of the Bible. The church is to be an alive, awakened people bringing kingdom power and force to the earth. That's what we are. That's who we are. That's what we're commanded to be, right? I'm not saying that's, what we, that's, that's, that's what's happening. We settle for things. We end up settling. I don't know. Why would you want to settle? What we do. You know why we settle? I'll give you one reason. Because it costs something of us. <gasps> That's inconvenient, Jesus. I can't do that. I'll just settle with all the settlers and I'll make up all the excuses that they make up and I'll take on all the doctrines that they've adapted. We create doctrines to justify cowardice and we create doctrines to justify um, powerlessness. We create teachings that are not biblical and we accept them as true. It's true. Jesus doesn't heal. Who told you that? Right? Well, God, everything's in God's timing. If you've got a now word, it's now, period. Right? The, 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 it's not an issue of timing. If God says it's now, then it's now. There's other, there's other contributing factors, but it has nothing to do with timing. It probably has to do with a belief system. It has to do with some action you're not taking, or it might be demonic. And the roots of the demonic may be resisting you or have a right thereof, but it's not God. But we yet will create these. Well, it must be God's will. It just must be God's will. Everything's God's will. Everything's God's will. No, listen, everything's not God's will. Say it with me. Everything, everything is not God's will. Not God's if everything was God's will, the Bible says that God wills that none should perish, but everyone come to faith in Christ, right? That everyone gets saved. That's his will. If Jesus was having his will, everybody would be getting saved, but they're not. So not everything is God's will. God is sovereign. Say it with me. God is sovereign, God is sovereign. and in his sovereignty, he's delegated authority. That's right. He's sovereign over righteousness. He's sovereign over the, coming, and over the coming age. There are certain things he retains sovereignty on, but for the most part, he's delegated authority. You are empowered. You heal the sick. <gasps> you cast out devils. <gasps> you cleanse lepers. You raise the dead. You bring the kingdom on earth as it is. You do it. And you know what the question is? How do we do that? That is exactly the question. That is a question that cannot be answered in and of yourself. That is a question that can only be answered in relationship. And until you develop the communal relationship, the deeper questions of the kingdom cannot be answered. Therefore, it's inconvenient. Oh, we don't want to wrestle. Oh, no, oh, no. Just give me a simple answer. Give me some gumdrops and a pat on the back, Pastor, and let me tell me everything's going to be okay. Okay, we can do that. But I, I, that's not what you're born for. That's, that's, not, that's not the weight of who you are. That's not the weight of who your father is. You're created for so much more. Why do we settle for that? But we do all day long. And we settle for things that, anything that violates our convenience, we don't want it. We don't want it. Oh, God, you mean I got a tithe? I got to give 10% of my income? That's inconvenient, Pastor. I can't do that. Oh, my gosh, Lord. You mean I got to commit and connect to a church, only one church? You mean I can't just show up on Easter and Sunday and actually see a contribution from my life come forth? Oh, no, that's inconvenient for me. I can't do that. Oh, God, no. 
You mean I actually got to do it when I'm tired? Yep. You mean I got to do it when I'm afraid? Yep. You got to do it when it's inconvenient? Yep. Yeah. We treat Jesus like we treat no one else. Jesus is at our convenience. Is your boss at your convenience? No. Is your agenda at your convenience? Yet Jesus is at the convenience of every believer. If I don't feel like it, I don't do it. If I'm not feeling good today, I don't go. If it's raining outside, I don't go. Don't show up every time it rains at work and see how long you have your job. It's true. You know, the Bible says exactly that. He challenges his people and he says, what you give to me, give to your governor and see if he'll accept it. Yeah? Yet we have no problem treating the king of glory that way because it's inconvenient for us. And you know what Jesus does? He leaves us as we are. And then we complain against him because nothing's happening in our life. And you know what he told them? He told them, consider your ways. Told him in the book of Haggai. He said, you complain against me, but I have something to say to you. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. You dwell in luxury, yet my house, yet my, let the doors of my household can't even be hinged because you neglect me. My priests plow the fields, yet you drive off in luxury because you neglect me. And yet you have a complaint against me. I'm the fountain of living water, right? I'm the source of your life. And until you understand that, then stop complaining against me. I'm summarizing it, but that's pretty much what he says, right? You got no right to complain against the Lord if that's your attitude. Bible calls you double-minded, unstable in all your ways. You say this, Jesus says that. And you go, well, I'm going with what I say. You're unstable in all your ways. And the Bible says it very plainly. Let that person believe that they will receive nothing from the Lord. Zero. This is the purpose of alignment. It's a new year, right? You got to make some changes. If you don't make the changes in your life that are necessary for this kingdom to flow, everything else is going to stay the same. And it'll just be another year of wishful thinking. But if you make the changes and you make the commitments, if you do what is right, Cain, you will be accepted. <laughs> if you do what is right, that was Cain's complaint. Spirit of Cain upon the church, right? Cain wanted to give God whatever he felt like. He wanted to give it, through, he wanted to do it his way. And the Lord says, I'm not accepting what you're offering. You're going to give me what I'm asking for. I'm a king worthy of honor. You're not giving me anything less than the worthiness of honor that I deserve. Right? I want all of you or I want none of you. You're not giving me portions of your life. That's what King did. Cain did. He just put something together and offered it. And the Lord said, no thanks. Keep it, Cain. He didn't reject Cain. He just said, no thanks. No thanks. And Cain's relationship with the Lord was limited because Cain was trying to relate to Jesus on his own terms. And so Cain became downcast, and Cain became angry. And so the Lord, in his grace, went and ministered to Cain and said, Cain, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you don't, your selfish pride, that is your sin, your selfish, greedy pride will consume you. He said, you need to come to terms with yourself, and you need to do what is right, which is honoring me and operating in the, in the, in the flow of my kingdom. Or if you don't, he gave him the choice. If you don't, it's all good. But you need to know that that selfish, greedy, consuming heart that you carry will destroy you. It's true. Just saying. You want something different, you got to do something different. It's not changing. We can't relate to God on his own terms. We have to, on, on our terms, we have to relate to him on his terms. Right? Or just accept things the way they are. That's the other alternative. Well, I don't want to relate to God on his own terms. Well, then just accept things as the way they are. I tell people, you don't have to. Just change your expectations. You don't have to do any of it, but don't expect anything, right? You can just, just don't, don't expect the Lord to do anything because he's not going to do it based upon that. He'll give you basic provision. That's all you're entitled to, survival. You'll survive. Even if you don't do it the way God asks you to, you will survive. The happy day. That's part of the inheritance of the believer is survival. <laughs> you can completely screw it up, and you're going to make it after all right? And some of y'all know that. You make a complete train wreck of your life, and yet the bills still get paid. You don't know how, but God shows up because it's survival. But you will never have success, and you will never have uh, significance until you can come into congruency with what he wants. You'll survive, right? You can't get past that. And that's why a lot of Christians can't get out of survival mode. They just can't. They're constantly living hand to mouth, constantly, because they do it on their own. They do it their way. 
They try to relate to God in their own terms. Just saying. Don't worry. You've been you say, well, I like survival. That's cool. Right? <laughs> then survive. I want you to write down seven things God's done for you for the past year. This is your homework. God said, I'll deliver you from the waterless places. God says he is promising you this year to deliver you from dark places, to deliver you from wasteful places. He's promising. He's promising. Well, what is, it, what is a wasted place? Any area, say it with me, any area of my life that is not reflecting glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. Where's the hopelessness in your life? There's the lie. Where, wherever the hopelessness is, there is the lie, and that is a habitation of the enemy. The Bible says he moves through the waste places, and he makes his habitation a wasteland. The dry, arid places God is not in is because there's a lie rooted in that world. It's true. God says he wants to deliver you from the wasted places of your life. Where in your life do you have no hope? Where in your life have you given up? And we want to say, oh, it's God. No, it's not God, it's you. You've, you believe a lie. You believe he's not good. You believe it's, he, hasn't got, he doesn't care about you. You believe you, you have a lie. You believe about value and worth. There's some part of your life that's inhabited by a lie. Therefore, it creates this waste place. You believe that you don't actually have to do what God says. You believe that, right? And because you believe that, I don't have to do what the Lord says. You believe a lie, and therefore, there's a wasteland, right? <laughs> Just a thought. The enemy hides in the, in, in the waterless places. As for you, the blood of my covenant, because of the blood of my covenant, God's intention for you this year is there are some dry areas in your life. You can come out of it. Are you willing? Right? Is there any hopeless places of your life where you've given up hope? Or is there any area of your life where it's just dry and it just isn't happening? Or there's places where you know you can move forward, but you just can't? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just can't? It's his intention to deliver you. But he needs you to work with him. Everybody thinks, oh, Jesus is just going to do it by default. I watch it time and again. I've watched prayer lines for 30 years. God's delivering you. Yet, there's no deliverance. Because deliverance requires partnership. There has to be an activation from the person in order for deliverance to work. There has to be an agreement. There has to be a transparency of an agreement. Because the curse that exists, exists because of an agreement. That agreement must be broken and a new agreement must be formed. So somebody proclaiming deliverance over you, you don't have the right to proclaim deliverance over anybody. The only one who proclaims deliverance over you is the Holy Spirit, and he has specific terms, right? We see people go free, free, and they ain't going back. Well, hold on to your deliverance. What, I, I always ask people, what's that all about? Nobody has to hold on to their deliverance. But again, the process of deliverance that God requires is inconvenient for us. It costs you your dignity. <gasps> Right? Costs you your pride. You actually got to admit there's some issues in your life. Oh, no. God help you. God help us all. You mean you're flawed? No. You mean you're screwed up and you can't help yourself? No way. That's a shock. <laughs> That's why we need a Savior. Areas of your life where there's no hope. God wants to deliver you. Do you want to go free this year? Yeah. Write down where you want to go free. Write it down. Put it before the Lord and say... Here's what I'm grateful for. Lord, these are the areas, according to your word, you walk, deliver me from these waste places. These are the areas in my life that I want to go free from. Ask the Holy Spirit where the dry places are. You can't see them. You don't know where they are. Holy Spirit, show me where the dry places of my life are. Show me where the places in my life are inhabited by lies. Show me. I dare you. I dare you. He'll show you what you don't want to see, and he'll show you what you cannot see. You can't see it and you don't want to see it because if you did know it was there, you would, be, you would be doing something about it. So sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what we cannot see and to reveal to us what we don't want to see. And he'll tell you. And he doesn't blink. Write it down. Holy Spirit, where are the waste places in my life? Where are the, where are the dry places? Where are the areas in my life that are inhabited by lies that you want to occupy? Boom. He's going to show you. Hope is the joyful expectation of something good. Hope is the foundation of faith. What is hope? The joyful expectation of something good. If you're not expecting good in some area of your life, you're under the influence of a lie. You don't believe things are ever going to change. Who told you that? You don't believe you're going to succeed. Who told you that? You don't think that God can fix it. Who told you that? Right? You don't believe you're good enough. Who told you that? Who told you that? Did Jesus tell you that? 
Anybody? Anybody here? Did Jesus tell you you're not worthy? Huh? Has the Lord told you one time you're not worthy? Then you're worthy. The only one who has the right to define value and worth is Jesus. The only one who has the authority to define the elements of your life is Jesus, unless you let another. It's the sin of Adam. Whose voice are you listening to that is not mine? You have subordinated yourself to a voice that is not your father's. Therefore, the covenant that you have made with a voice that is not your father's has subjugated you. You are slaves to whom the master you submit to. When you submit to lies and you submit to deceptions and you submit to perceptions, not in your head but in your heart, those things begin to dominate you and exercise mastery over your life. Just saying. And that lie has to be broken. That lie has to be discovered. That lie has to be rooted out. And a new covenant must be formed. Yeah, It's called sanctification of the believer. The story of the Old Testament. They came out of Egypt and they were called to inherit the promised land. It's a story I told you this morning, earlier. You're out of Egypt, Christian, but you're going to die on this side of the Jordan if you don't learn to cross over. Right? You're going to be like countless Christian generations before you who only heard of promises yet never inherited them. The Bible says that the word spoken to them did not profit them because they refused to mix it with faith. Faith isn't merely believing. Faith is taking action. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Who doesn't? Right? Join the club. Get in line. But not everybody takes action into it. God will restore waste places. Here's what you do. You put a stick in your teeth. You start worshiping. You're meditating. You start going, okay, Holy Spirit, I give you the right to show me the areas of my life that are influenced by a lie. I give you the permission to do that. And he'll either start ministering to that to you now, or he'll start showing you when you're driving the car. He'll wait till you're in a neutral setting, and he'll, boom, he'll tell you. You believe a lie that you are worthless. I don't believe that. Yes, you do. The day your father left you is a day you accepted within your heart that you are unloved. No one can convince you otherwise. You believe a lie rooted in your heart because you believe that your father has the right to determine your identity. <laughs> you believe another lie. Right? <gasps> this, is, this is what it is, man. This is how deep it is. This, is. this is stuff is deep and it is rooted in us. And we have got to unroot it. It has to come out. You can't read it away. I'm going to tell you now. You can, how do you know? Because I've tried. You can't read it away. You can't fellowship it away. You can't sing it away. Oh, it goes through worship, but then it comes right back. So if I'm worshiping, you know, I can gut it out through worship and, and, and all these feelings leave me. But as soon as the worship subsides, back it comes. All right? I can power through it with word confession. Y'all are nodding your head because you know what I'm talking about. I can power through it. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And every tongue that rises against me, you know, we can power through it, but it's, and, and that's great, but what if you didn't have to power through it? What if it just wasn't there anymore? That's the question. The Lord wants to restore waste places. That's not an option. The only question is, is do you? Do you? Crazy, say it with me, crazy's normal. Crazy's been with some of y'all for so long that crazy's normal. You don't want to give up crazy because you don't know who you'll be without crazy. Right? Well, I like crazy. I just don't like the after effects of crazy. Well, crazy comes with a whole package. Crazy's normal. You got to get to the place where crazy's not normal, where you don't want that garbage anymore, or you keep it the same, or enjoy, enjoy the desert. You know, enjoy it. That, that's the point. Do you. I will bend Judah as my bow. So here's the key. So God is saying, return to the stronghold of hope. Those who are bound, or return to the stronghold, those who are bound by hope. And from there, I will declare trouble for your trouble. From the place of hope and remembrance, I will speak life over you. And I will bring forth trouble for your trouble. And then you know what he does? He gives us another key. I will bend Judah as my bow. And I will fill it with Ephraim. And I will rouse the sons and the daughters of Zion, and I will make them like a sword. I don't fully know what that means, but I'm like, make me like a sword. You know, I'm tired of playing defense. I like offense, right? Take it to the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail. That is an offensive word. That is not a defensive word. 
The gates don't attack you. We attack the gates. What does Judah mean? Anybody? Yes, praise. I will bend the bow of praise, and praise is filled with Ephraim. Ephraim is fruitfulness and strength. Your fruitfulness and strength will be found in the bow of praise, the weapon of praise. When you begin to praise God and go to the stronghold of hope and let him declare, you begin to praise God for what he's done, for what he's doing, and what he's going to do. And you praise him with an open mouth. Here's how we praise God. Open your mouth, Christian. Jesus likes vocalization. He just digs it. He likes it when we say stuff. He likes it when we thank him. He likes to hear our voices. Open your mouth. Say praise you, Father. Thank you for where you've brought me. I would be nowhere without you, Lord. You are good. I declare your nature. I give you glory. I honor you above all of the heavens. In the midst of the angels, I declare the glory of my Father. I declare the glory of my Father in the midst of his court. I take my rightful place of an heir of his world and the one to come. And I stand in robes of glory and honor. And before the assembly of the saints, I give him praise. I give him glory. The angels will not take my place. The rocks will not take my place. I will thank you for who you are. I will thank you for what you've done. I will thank you for what you've given me and who you have made me and who I am becoming. I will thank you for what you are actively doing. I will find something in the now that you are doing and I will give you glory for it. And I will thank you for what you are going to do. I will call what is not as though it was. I will speak life to the dead and I will call what is not as though it was. Yeah. And what happens? Fruitfulness and strength. And you start feeling full. You start feeling strong. You start feeling powerful. And the Lord takes the sons and the daughters of Zion and he uses them as a weapon. And he makes you as a sword. Zion is kingdom. Right? That's what it means. Sons and daughters of the kingdom. Huh? Elevate. Huh? Huh? Come on. Come on. We're kingdom culture. That means you. <laughs> a weapon. All right, I'm almost done. I'm quick. Just sorry. I'm, I'm just, bear with me. This is good. Here's the fourth point, right? You must be, well, the third point is you must become a person of intentional praise. Daily thank him. Just thank him. Thank him. Just praise him. Praise him. Don't give me this like, oh, praise God, 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 praise God. Can we get a little more specific, right? Can we get a little more intimate, can we actually praise him like we know him, right? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. I just get up in the morning. I just start praising God. I just walk around my house. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> right? Really? Praise him for what? What are you praising him for? Praise him. For what he's done. Great. Praise him for something. Be specific. Become a person of intentional praise. Do it daily. Set it on your calendar. Last thing, I'm just going to share this little part with you, but this, this is the fourth point. This is Isaiah chapter 22. Again, it's a prophetic word. What's happening in Israel is the, king, the kings are changing places. There's a king who wouldn't listen to the Lord, and the Lord is prophesying and said, I'm going to put a king in place who will listen to me. Right? And ultimately, it reflects Jesus, who will become, so it's a near prophecy. It's, it's happening in their time. It's a far prophecy. It's connected to Jesus, and it's a generational prophecy that relates to us. Right? So God's word is eternal. And so this word has layers of manifestation. That's how his word manifests. It manifests in layers. It's great. It's amazing. <laughs> he says, I will place upon his shoulders. He's speaking of this now king, but it's also prophesying Jesus. I'll place upon his shoulders the, uh, the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So we know this is Jesus because he says it in Revelation. I am the one who holds the key of David. What I open, no one can shut. What I shut, no one can open. He says it. This one will be like a peg driven into a firm place. He will sit in the seat of honor and he will bring honor to the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang upon him. All of its offspring and its offshoots, all of the vessels and the bowls and the jars. This is the fourth point. You want to change this year? Every part of your life has to hang on Jesus. Right? He's the peg. So the scripture is telling us. 
He's the peg. He's the one who opens and shuts. And the one who opens and shuts needs you to hang every part of your life on him. What does that mean? Jesus has got to, you have got to stop making Jesus negotiable. (laughs) It's what I'm saying, man. We negotiate Jesus away. He's our first line of negotiation to the Christian. Every single time. Every single time. You got something better to do today? There you go. You got something better to do for a month? There you go. Oh, I was too tired, Pastor. I couldn't get out of bed this morning. Sorry. Why are you telling me that? Right? Get yourself up. Wake yourself up. Make the things that matter to Jesus matter to you. And until the things that matter to him matter to you, it doesn't matter to him. I didn't say you don't matter to him. But until the things that matter to him matter to you, it doesn't matter to him. Nothing's going to change. It just won't. It just won't. Jesus has got to become your non-negotiable. I'm going to church. I don't care. There's 52 weeks in a year. I'm going to be there 37. <gasps> You've never gone 37 weeks to church in your life. Now to those of you who come every week, you're like, 37? What are you, a wimp? But you'd be shocked. There's like three or four congregations in a church. You got your monthlies, right? You got your core. You got your annuals, right? And you got your Christmas and Easter's. It's true. It's true. What, if, what would happen if you made that commitment? What would happen if you wrote it on the calendar, non-negotiable? Oh, I've got tickets. Oh, you need to come to me. Oh, you need to go. No, I'm sorry. Oh, that hurt. Oh, that hurt. Oh, ooh, ooh, that cost me something. Really? Jesus is your first negotiable. What if your boss told you you couldn't go? Huh? What if you asked your boss the same kind of concept? Who's your boss? Is your boss your boss or is Jesus your boss? Huh? He's the first one we trade. And if you want things to change, you have got to stop doing that. Or accept the relativity that associates with that behavior. The consequences that relate to that behavior. Jesus has got to not be, you've got to stop negotiating. You've got to start embracing what he embraces. His things must become your things. Well, I don't know who I'll be. You know what? You don't need to know who you'll be. You need to be who you'll become. I came to Jesus. I burned it all to the ground. I said, I'm going to put a stick in my teeth, and I'm going to do what he says, and I don't care what it costs me. Right? I will live in my car if I have to, but I will honor this king. Oh, where are you? As soon as inconvenience happens to us, that's when we sacrifice him. As soon as we feel that something better comes along or something more self-gratifying comes along, he's the first one to go. First one to go. Oh, pastor, pray for me. My boyfriend broke up. Oh, I haven't seen you in a year. Where have you been? Oh, I've been dating this guy. He's like really not a believer. And, um, you know, we moved in with together and uh, he was really into occult things and his whole family's into occult. And I started doing occult too. And I got pregnant, but I lost the baby. And now he broke up with me and uh, he's left me and my life's a total train wreck. And so I'm just back here for two weeks to see Jesus could fix me. I hear it all the time. All the time. You know, I look at him. I said, when? And they'll always ask me, what do you mean when? I go, when would Jesus become your non-negotiable? I said, you continually find yourself in these pits because you negotiate Jesus. That's got to change. It's got to change. I don't care how boring it seems to you. It's got to change. I don't care how mundane that seems to you. It's got to change. Or nothing will change. Right? Don't expect transformation if you can't do the inconvenient right? Don't expect transformation if you can't be obedient. Obedient is when you don't want to, right? My wife was exhausted this morning, exhausted. And I told her, you can stay home or come to the second service. She said, no, I want to be there. No, I want to be there, right? Because she chooses the honor of God above the, above the, above the personal inconveniences. And until you reach that place, nothing's going to change. It just isn't. And you'll wonder, well, how can they do these things? Or how can they have that revelation? Or how can they prophesy like that? Or how come these things happen in their life at that level, but don't happen in mine? Does it mean God doesn't love you anymore? No, he loves you the same. But there's issues in your life, right? Cain, there's another one. Holy Spirit, show me where Cain exists in my life. Ooh, ah, pastor, you're really, you know, where there is no challenge, there is no change, Christian. 
I'm, you know, you have the option to stay the same. <laughs> you can stay the same or you can change. Holy Spirit, where does Cain exist in my life? Where and what do I trade you for? <laughs> Getting on the bone now, right? All right, so here it is. Return to hope. That's where breakthrough comes. Say it with me. Return to hope. Breakthrough comes from the place of hope. Write down seven things Jesus did for me last year. Write down any and all areas of my life where there is no hope, where it's dry, where it's barren, where I can't move forward. All right? Number three, intentionally praise daily. Come on. All right. Number four, go all in. Go all in. No compromise. Come on. 12 months out of your life, are you going all in? <laughs> really? What's it going to cost you? I'm going all in. 12 months of my life. I'm tithing. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm committing to connect to church. I'm being, you know, whatever. 12 months of your life, all in, and you tell me that that year, that year isn't different than any other year you've been in. It will be completely different than any other year you've, you've experienced. Completely. Completely. Amen? All right. Well, God loves you. So we're going to have a prayer team available. We're going to have a ministry. Is the ministry rally going on? Yes? Okay, so we're going to have the ministry rally going on. I want to bless you one more time. I want to thank everybody there if you wanna, uh, for watching. We want to bless you as well. I just have a one more prayer of blessing over you, but I want to encourage you to make 2022 better than 2021, right? To upgrade yourself spiritually and to go to another level. So, Father, I just want to thank you for everything you've given to us and what you've done, Lord. I pray that your word imparts grace to the hearer. Lord, that inspires, Lord, that corrects and convicts, Lord, and, and brings life into your people, and that it not return to you void, Father, but accomplishes what you send it forward to do. And we give you the glory, Lord. We give you the honor. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way, and may he give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Prayer team's available. Ministry rallies over there.